It is amazing. Every year at New Day, this night is amazing, isn't it? Even if you've been here since 2004, which, by the way, I have, since the very first New Day, every time we come to New Day and we ask Jesus to heal people, and he does, it is amazing. Say amazing. Amazing. I tell you what, when someone gets healed right in front of your eyes, you immediately know Jesus is real, don't you? You, you, it just deals with a whole load of questions and doubts. Jesus is real. That, didn't, that couldn't have happened unless supernatural power entered this tent and did something just now. And that's exactly what we just saw. And you know what? It's a massive deal in your life to know that Jesus is real. But I want to tell you tonight, there's actually a bigger deal for you. Because it's possible to know that Jesus is real. It's even possible to know that Jesus is the Son of God and still not actually live the life that God has called you to. Tonight's message is called this. It's called Die so you can live because the lion is roaring. I'm going to talk to you tonight about what it means to really know Jesus, to really know who he is. You know, there's a a story in the Bible when Simon is with a group of the disciples. Simon is one of the disciples and Jesus and them, they're walking uh, to an area called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked them this question and the words will come up on the screen for you to read it with me. It's in the gospel of Matthew. Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do people say that the son of man is? And they say to him, well, some say that you're John the Baptist and and other people say you're Elijah and some people say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said to them, and I want you to hear him saying this to you tonight, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, it's not enough to say Jesus is real, is who is he? Who really is he? And it's Simon's answer that Jesus responds to. Simon says this, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when Jesus hears that, Jesus turns it back on Simon and he says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. Blessed are you. For flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. You didn't work this out on your own. You didn't didn't make this one up. You You didn't get here with a good amount of study and diligent care. My father in heaven revealed this to you. And I tell you this, you are Peter. When you answer the question that Jesus asks you, who do you say that I am? Jesus says something back to you. He gives you a new name. He says to Simon, you were Simon Bar-Jonah, you are now Peter. And it's an amazing moment. Some of you did that last night. You, You went out of the side door of this tent and you said, Jesus, you're real and you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and you are a new creation. And it's a wonderful thing when God does that. And you know, God is gonna do that again tonight. God is going to do that here again tonight. He's going to redefine people. He's told me already that he is going to give people a new name tonight. You ready for a new name? God wants to give some new names. He wants to say to some Simons, you are Peter, the rock. That's what Peter means in the Greek. It means the rock. But I tell you what, it's not actually enough to get a new name either. Because the next thing you see when Simon Peter is talking to Jesus. The next thing, the next conversation you get in the gospel stories and Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all record these stories. And the next conversation you get is Peter in an argument with Jesus. So so you get this amazing experience of Peter realizing that he's the son of the living God and then he's in an argument with him. And in Mark chapter eight, he's in an argument about this. It's because Jesus says to him, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this 
plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. How come Peter feels the need to take Jesus to one side and say to him, listen, mate, you're wrong. I know you're the son of the living God. I know you're the Christ. I know you're the Messiah. But on this one, you can't be right. It can't, it can't work out like that. I tell you why that is. It's because Peter knew who the Messiah was going to be. He, he said, I know, I, I've, I know it. It's in my mind. I've got it in my mind. He'd read scriptures in the Old Testament promising that God was going to send an anointed one, a Christ, who was going to come straight from God and he was going to be the one who brought God's people out of oppression and out of slavery and out of injustice and they were going to have their own land, their own nation. They were going to, once more, they were going to govern themselves and they were going to live in peace and prosperity and they were going to overthrow the Romans who were oppressing them and they were going to be a mighty, powerful military nation. And that's what the Messiah was going to be and Peter knew that. So when he heard Jesus say to him, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ... He's going to suffer at the hands of men and he's going to die. Peter said to him, no way. No way. Because Peter didn't understand the idea of a dying Messiah. What good is a dead saviour? What good is a rescuer who gives up his life? To Peter, that was way outside of his understanding of who God could really be. And Jesus knows this is a massive deal. Who Jesus really is, is a massive deal for his disciples. It's a massive deal for us tonight. It's probably one of the most significant. In fact, I would go so far as to say it is the most significant opinion you will ever have in your life. Who really is Jesus? What does it really mean for him to be the Messiah, the Savior, and the Rescuer? And Jesus knows it's such a big deal that he takes Peter on straight away. He gets right in his face. So Peter's there rebuking Jesus, and it says the next verse in verse 33, turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He's not Peter now. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of men. What does it mean for Peter to have set his mind on the things of men? Setting your mind on the things of men is like saying, how do men and women think the world works? How does it all work out according to us? How do we think everything fits together in life on the earth? How does it all, how does it all come together? What, is it, what, what does life really hold? What does life mean? What are the answers to the big questions? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? What's, where do you get your identity from? That's the things of man. And, and I tell you, our culture is telling you the answer to this question every day. Every day you're hearing the world's answer, the things of man, the things of men and women are being pumped into you. And, and, it's, and, the, and the world, if you, you want to know what the world's message is, what's the mantra of the human race, I tell you, here are three or two good questions that the world is asking you when it comes to trying to define what your life is really about. What does it really mean to be alive? The first question is this, how much have you got? That's what the world is asking you. How much have you got? How much stuff have you got? That's how to define who you are, what your life is about, what your value is on the earth, what your purpose is, what your destiny is. It's about what you've got. It's about your stuff. It's about how rich you are. It's about how much, how, what kind of house you can live in, what kind of car you can drive, what kind of phone you've got. You can be defined by the stuff that you've got, how, how much you've managed to acquire in your life. Or maybe it's, it's how much have you got when it comes to status and recognition and popularity. 
Maybe it's how much have you got when it comes to friends and followers. You know, on Snapchat, who are you linked in with? On Instagram, who's, who's looking at your photos? How many people are stirring when you post something and responding and tagging you? What, what's going on in the social media world? How, who's following you? Maybe it's who's asked you out recently. Maybe it's who likes hanging out with you. The world is asking you to define yourself by how much you've got, whether it's stuff or people or relationships. The other way the world is defining you, the second question is, how far can you go? Your culture around you is telling you all day long and asking this question of you, come on then, what's in your locker? How far can you go? What's your best exam result that you can muster up? Are you a grade A student? You're going to get yourself nine GCSEs, four A levels, you're going to go to university, you're going to make it into that sports team, you're going to get a track on SoundCloud and find loads of people want to download it and listen to it. What can you do when it comes to dance or music or the arts? What can it do when it comes to your cleverness, your academia? The world's asking you, come on then, how far can you go? What kind of a difference can you make in the world? And the world's trying to define you by your stuff and your friends and your achievements. It's asking you, what can you make of your life? I tell you what Jesus says to Peter. He says, this is what I'm going to make of my life, Peter, as a Messiah. I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give the whole thing up. I'm going to lay it down. If you want to know me, Peter, Jesus says, you need to get to know a Messiah who's going to suffer and die. That's the, that's the way that Jesus thinks. He doesn't have in mind the things of man. Jesus has in mind the things of God. You know, the world is telling you, get as much as you can, get stuff, get people, get success, get recognition, make it. You know what, if you want, have a bit of Jesus as well. Put a bit of religion in there. That's, that's fine. In fact, that might help you out. That might actually make things go better for you. A little bit of religion, a little bit of faith, it doesn't hurt anyone. It might do you good, might keep you out of trouble. I, I discovered this kind of, that kind of moderation, that acceptance of being a Christian when I first became a Christian. I came from a family that wasn't, uh, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't follow any kind of specific religious beliefs and, and I converted into Christianity. I said, hey, hey I'm a Christian now. And my family found it strange that I was converted because they were a bit like, where's that come from? But then they were like, hey, it's good. It seems to be, you know, you seem to like it. You like going to church and, it, and it's helping you in your life and you're benefiting from, from, you know, from knowing Jesus. And that's good. Yeah, have a bit, ask a few spiritual questions. Have a bit of God in your life. My friends at school were the same. They were like, Liv, if you want to go on a Sunday morning to church and on a Friday night to youth group and you don't want to play in the hockey club and you're not so bothered about going to the pub, then, you know, it's up to you, isn't it? It's your hobby. But i tell you what they didn't want. They didn't want me to get really serious about Jesus. They didn't want me to, to start taking everything really seriously. They didn't want me to actually let this Jesus thing make a difference to my life. It's like the world, the mindset of man says to you, do you know what? It's all right to have a bit of spirituality as long as it doesn't rock the boat. You don't want to be fanatical you know, you don't want to be like all out. You don't, you don't want to be one of those people who can, you know, like tunnel vision. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, do you? You've got to keep your options open. It's a bit like actually when, when Stu and I got engaged. It was amazing. Like the man that I had met, that I had fallen in love with, said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you and, and live an adventure of faith together. And I was like, yes, that is, that is like the coolest day of my life to date. I was so excited and, and we started telling people and we were like, we've got engaged. And they were like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You found love. That's so lovely. I'm so happy for you. What, what, 
you actually want to get married. People could understand engagement, they couldn't understand marriage. Because marriage is a covenant, marriage is a commitment. Like Joel was saying last night, marriage is a decision to say, do you know what, I'm settling it now, I'm all in with this one guy. No matter who else I meet, no matter how life turns out, for better or for worse, I've settled it and I'm committing myself and I'm making a promise and I'm all in. You know, marriage is all in. I've never understood how people can, can make a prenuptial agreement before they get married. A, a prenuptial agreement is when you basically make a little contract between you and your fiancé and you say, do you know what, I, I really love you and, and I'm really looking forward to marrying you, but let's just make a little agreement that if it doesn't work out, I get to keep all my stuff and you get to keep all your stuff. It's like holding back. And do you know what, that is what the world thinks about Jesus. Put a little bit of Jesus in to improve being a teenager. Go to New Day. Have a great week. Just don't get too serious about God. Just don't become fanatical. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. After all, you've still got to get your value from somewhere. You've still got to live for something. You've still got to succeed. You've still got to get good exam results. You've still got to get a decent job. You've still got to have loads of friends. And you've still got to acquire a load of stuff. And you know, that way of thinking permeates everything. It's all around us. Every time you go on social media, you are listening to a sermon. Do you know that? Do you know that you are being preached at, not here off this platform five or six times in this week, you are being preached at every minute of every day from every single angle. You're being preached at from every advert you see on the bus stop or in the train station, every time you switch the telly on, every time you watch a film, listen to lyrics of a song, every time you, you read the newspaper, the media, the government, our nation, our culture is preaching to you. It's, it's invisible sometimes, you can't even hear that it's a sermon but it's there and it's coming into your ears. It's a bit like air. Nobody makes a big fuss about air because it's invisible. We just breathe it in and out. I mean, it's not like you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm really glad that there's air in here. In fact, some of you might be thinking there's not enough air in here, but you're just breathing it in and out, aren't you? And it is totally second nature to you. Well, that's a bit like absorbing the things of man, the mindset of man. You just, you just draw it in. It's totally invisible. But unlike air, this mindset is not harmless. It's actually poisonous. I want to give you a little science lesson. Seeing as we're in the school holidays and none of you have done any homework for weeks, I'm just going to take you back to your chemistry lessons. And I want to tell you a little bit about a toxic gas called carbon monoxide. You know when you breathe in oxygen from the air, it goes into your lungs, doesn't it? And then it passes through into your blood cells. Well, in your blood cells, there's these clever little things, this substance called hemoglobin. Say hemoglobin. Right, good word. See if you can spell it. And hemoglobin's job is to collect oxygen and bind onto it and then travel through your bloodstream to all the organs and muscles around your body that need that oxygen to make energy. And when it gets there, it releases the oxygen and it picks up carbon dioxide, which your muscles have been producing as a result of the energy system and doesn't need anymore. And so the hemoglobin carries that back to your lungs and you can breathe the carbon dioxide out. And it's an absolutely brilliant system that God has designed in our bodies so that we get oxygen for life and we get rid of carbon dioxide. And it's all because of that beauty hemoglobin. But you know what hemoglobin actually prefers to bond to something different? Given the choice, hemoglobin wouldn't choose oxygen or carbon dioxide. Hemoglobin would choose carbon monoxide, CO. And if you breathe in oxygen and carbon monoxide at the same time, your hemoglobin and your red cells will suck up the, the carbon monoxide, get hold of it and carry it all around your body. But the problem is your body doesn't need carbon monoxide. Your body needs oxygen. So while the hemoglobin is busy carrying carbon monoxide, it's not busy carrying oxygen. And if your cells don't get oxygen, they start to suffocate. 
They start to asphyxiate inside your body. You can't make energy and bits of you internally starts to die. So why am I telling you all about the chemistry of your respiratory system? It's because of this. I honestly believe that sucking in the mindset of man is like breathing in carbon monoxide. It is a silent killer. I've got a friend who were at a camp a bit like this last year, a Bible week, and, um, and they had a tent and they had a gas fridge in their tent. And they went to bed on the, on the first night of the camp and everything was nice and cold in the fridge and they lay down and they fell asleep. And little did they know that all night long, the valve on their gas fridge leaked carbon monoxide into their tent. And they lay there asleep and they breathed it in all through the night. And bits of their body started to suffer. And in the middle of the night, or the early hours of the morning, the guy woke up and he, and he thought, do you know, I feel rough. I need to go to the toilet. So he got out of his tent and he made his way across to the toilets, but he's finding it really hard to walk and he was stumbling and he actually was really weak and breathless and felt really sick and had a headache. And as he was making his way back to his tent thinking, what is wrong with me? He realized this could be carbon monoxide poisoning. This has actually happened to me before, years before. So he gets back to the tent, he opens all the flaps and he thinks to himself, that should sort it out. So he lies down and he goes back to sleep. When he wakes up in the morning, he's grey and seriously ill. They take him straight to accident emergency, and his wife actually, because she was in the tent as well. And when he gets there and the doctors see him, do you know what they say to him? They say, you will die of this poisoning in your body unless we get oxygen into you now. And he spent 24 hours on, in, on a, a pump inhaling oxygen to basically flood his body with that life-giving gas and to get rid of all of that poisonous gas. I want to say to you tonight that living with the things of man in your heart is like trying to be a person who lives with carbon monoxide being breathed in all day long. And we're living in a world where the carbon monoxide is everywhere. It's like the silent killer. This mindset is like the deadliest thing to your life in God. You can be a Christian tonight. You can love the fact that Jesus heals. You can believe that he's the son of the living God. And you can carry on breathing in a poisonous, toxic gas that will prevent you from ever really carrying what God has for you in him. That oxygen that gives life and energy to your whole personhood. And you can carry on breathing in carbon monoxide and being slowly poisoned. And you know what? Jesus doesn't want that for you. And tonight he's saying to you, I want you to realize how sick you can get as a Christian. And I know some of you are hearing this and you're thinking, that's me actually. Because I do like church, I do like Jesus, I do like going along, but I I don't really grow. I I don't really move forward. And I'm always troubled by the things around me and the things of this life. And, And you're basically suffocating spiritually. And Jesus wants to come and stick an oxygen mask on your face and let you breathe in gulps of him. And that's what he does for Peter. Because he knew that Peter was sick. And so he took Peter up a mountain with James and John. And right in front of their eyes, he was completely transfigured. He was totally changed. The Bible says that his clothes became dazzling white. It was like he shone. His appearance was just radiant. And suddenly they saw uh, Moses and Elijah talking with him. And they saw Jesus and they saw that he was glorious and he was God. And they realized he's not just a man. He's not just the Messiah. He's God on the earth and he's talking. And they're listening to his conversation. And do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about his death again. He's talking about his departure. The word that comes up in that verse in Luke 9, it says that he was speaking with Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and he spoke of his departure. And that word departure is the same word that we associate with Moses because it's the word exodus. 
Jesus was describing and talking with Moses, the one who's famous, you know, the Prince of Egypt story. He goes to Pharaoh, the people are in slavery. He says, let God's people go. Pharaoh says, no. Then Moses says, God's gonna send plagues. There are 10 plagues. Eventually Pharaoh says, yes. Moses leads the people out of slavery. They get to the Red Sea. It's all closed up. Pharaoh's army have changed their mind. They're chasing them. God opens the sea. Pharaoh, uh, Moses goes through. The sea covers all of Pharaoh's army. They all die. They're totally liberated from slavery in Egypt. It's the exodus. It's the story of God getting his people out. And Jesus is here talking about an exodus. And it's an exodus that Jesus is going to accomplish. And it's far more significant than the exodus that Moses accomplished. That's just a picture. Moses' accomplishment, Moses' life and exodus is just a picture of what Jesus is doing in his departure. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's opening up the Red Sea, not just for a nation of Jewish people to come to know him, but he's opening up a way for every man and woman and child in every culture and every language and every generation for all time to come to know him. He's not just setting men and women free from physical captivity. He's setting them free from a slavery to sin, a slavery to corruption, a slavery to darkness, a slavery to sickness, like we've seen tonight, him setting people free from pain and sickness and even even more than that, he's setting them free from death. Jesus is on a massive liberation campaign. And Jesus knows that it's his death that's significant. It's his death that's central. That's why he, that's why he gets in Peter's face about this. That's why he rebukes him. He says, you've got to have in mind the things of God and not the things of man. Because this is it, Peter. It's me dying. That's the big deal. You know, I think most of us, if someone asked you, what's the basic message of Christianity, you'd say, oh, it's about a death. It's about Jesus dying. I want to tell you tonight, it's about two deaths. It is about Jesus dying, and he has to die first, but there's another person that has to die, and that's you. After Jesus has explained to Peter that he's going to die, he says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is saying to them, if you want to follow me, you're going to go where I go, and I'm going to the cross. The disciples weren't stupid. They knew what this meant. They knew that going to the cross, carrying your cross, meant picking up something that you were going to die on. Jesus is describing to them, it's time to die. You know what the thing about death is? That death is completely all in. When you die, you give up everything. You don't take anything with you. Your great new iPhone you just got, you're not taking that with you. Your house, your car, your GCSE results, your boyfriend, your new jeans, your job, you're not taking it with you. You're just leaving behind a load of memories and a reputation, that's it. But it's all in. All of you get swallowed up in death. Death is absolutely, like, it's all in. It's everything. It doesn't leave anything behind. It's all the eggs in the one basket. And Jesus is saying that is what it is to follow him, is to die, is to be completely all in, is to be sold out for Jesus, is to leave nothing behind. It's the very thing that the mindset of man doesn't want you to do. It's the very thing that the world is scared about, people who are all in for God, people who are willing to be all in, who have have given up on everything else and said, I've died to the idea that getting stuff is going to make me happy. I have given up on that. I've died to the idea that my reputation, my popularity and all of that is going to make me significant and give me a life. I've given up on that. I've laid it down. I've died to it. Jesus is saying it's time to die to the idea that your successful life is going to mean you've made it. 
give up, giving up on, on being defined anymore by the things of man. Laying it all to one side and saying, you know what? I'm dead now. Jesus is saying to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, that's what, that's what it means to know who Jesus really is, is to say, I'm dead. I'm dead to everything the world is gonna try and sell me. I'm dead to every advert. Do you know when the adverts come on on the telly, I say to my kids, don't listen to them. They're gonna sell you something that you don't need and it's not gonna make you happy. It's like saying, I'm dead to every advert. It doesn't matter what you offer me. It doesn't matter what you sell me. It is not gonna touch me. Why does Jesus want us dead? Why does he say, I'm dying and you need to die? Why does he put us together like that? I tell you why, because Jesus knew that when he died, something else was gonna happen after that. He was gonna die and then he was gonna get raised up. And he's saying to Peter and the other disciples, and he's saying it to us tonight, it's time to die because I can only resurrect dead people. Do you know that? You can't be a candidate for resurrection unless you're dead. And Jesus wants to do something tonight where he causes us to agree with him. So we say to him, I am dead to the world and I count it as dead to me. Now raise me up. Raise me up to newness of life. In, in, um, when Jesus has told them that you need to carry across and follow him, the next thing he says in Mark's gospel, in verse 35, he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. It's not because Jesus wants us dead, it's because Jesus wants us alive. I'm preaching to you tonight, not because I want you all to sit there and think, oh, we've got to die. It's because I want you to live. It's because I stand up here and I look out in this tent and I think, oh my goodness, look at the potential for resurrection life inside this room. Look at what God can do when he raises up this life inside this room. In Romans 6, in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says, do you know when you got baptised, you were baptised into the death of Jesus. Why were you baptised into the death of Jesus? Why, why is baptism a sign of being buried, buried with Christ? Is this, it says, because in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That is what Jesus has for us. He's calling us to die tonight because he's saying, you know what? I've got new life for you and I've got real life. I've got eternal life. I've got resurrection life. What does it look like, this life that Jesus offers? It's a life of immense peace. It's being at peace with God. It's knowing that you and God, things are right between you. That when you stand before him, everything is good between you and God. It's being at peace with God. It's a life of being at peace with one another. It's a life of being able to be reconciled in your relationships with people. It's a life of being of peace with yourself. Saying, you know what? I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. That's the life Jesus is calling you. How amazing to wake up every day and not think, what do I have to do today to get somewhere, to be someone, to make it work, to make life work for me? What do I have to achieve? What do I have to acquire? What do I have to do to define myself? It's waking up every day and saying, you know what? I know who I am. I'm in Jesus. I'm totally alive and I'm living in that life. It's a life of love. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, the Bible says the cloud came down and covered up Moses and Elijah and him and Peter and James and John, just enveloped all of them. And then it says, out of the cloud, a voice came saying, this is my beloved son whom I've chosen. With him, I'm well pleased. You know what the life Jesus has called you to? 
is hearing God say that into your ear all the time. You are my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. It's God saying over us, you're alive. You're alive. You don't, you don't need anyone to give you an identity tonight because you've got one from God. And it's a life of power. You like what you saw on the stage when you saw people's bodies getting healed? What's been happening all across the room tonight? The supernatural power of Jesus coming into this world, invading this land. You know what? That's the life God's called you to. A life of miracles. A life of power. A life living with the presence of God inside you. Jesus has called us to bear his fruit. He's giving, he's giving us a life of power, not just for miracles out there, but for miracles in here. For miracles that mean we change to become like him. We get set free from wrong ways of thinking. We get set free from demonic powers and spiritual oppression and addictions and habits that are causing destruction in our lives, in our friendships, in our family and in our situations. That's the miracle power of Jesus just as much as in healing someone whose body is sick is that he heals our lives. And God is saying that is resurrection life. That is new life. That is the newness of life that he's calling you to tonight, to walk in him. He's calling us to know that he has made us for this life. The other life, the life breathing in the carbon monoxide, that is no real life at all. That's like a living death. Jesus has called you to breathe oxygen. He's called you to breathe in him, his glory, his righteousness, his power, his beauty, his perfection. That's what he's called you to live breathing in. And he says this, this life is good news for you. Do you think it's good news for you? It is good news for you. It's about the best news you're ever going to hear. That if you die tonight, you can live with Jesus tonight. That you can be alive with Jesus and you can live your life in Jesus. But you know what? Don't just clap for yourselves. It's not just good news for you. It's not just for us. It's not just good news for us that Jesus has brought us into resurrection life. It's good news for the whole of the world. Because you know what? Out there... There are millions of people breathing in carbon monoxide every day. They don't know a God who loves them. They don't know what it is like to be at peace with themselves. They don't know what it is like to be at peace with God. They don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning with hope. They live, the Bible says, in the fear of death. There are people out there living with broken up lives, mashed up families, busted up relationships, awful stuff that's gone on in them. And all day long, they're, being, they're just hearing this message. They're just breathing in this poison. And it's getting into their system. And it's stopping them from knowing the life of God. And you know what God says to us? He says, I'm breathing oxygen onto you so you can be alive. And then I'm putting an oxygen tank in your hand. And I'm saying to you, get out there and give the oxygen away. He's calling us to be those who breathe the very life of God into others that we meet, into every place that we go. He's saying over us, I want you to live because there's something at stake. There's a nation waiting for oxygen. And where is the oxygen? I tell you, it's in this tent. It's in this room tonight. It's the life of God. There is a nation full of poison. There is a nation full of poison and it's called the United Kingdom. And Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's roaring over the United Kingdom. I don't know if you've ever been near a lion. I, I was with some lions earlier this year at Zimbabwe. And I tell you, the roar of a lion is the most intimidating and wonderful noise. 
At the same time, you want to be near this creature of power and majesty and strength and beauty and grace and dignity and honor. And and you want to be close. And then at the same time, you want to run. You don't want to be close because it's an intimidating roar because you know that that lion has got you. That lion would have you. You know what? Jesus roars like a lion over our nation. He roars like a lion over the United Kingdom because he says, it's my nation. That is my country. They are my people. My father made them, every single one of them. And he didn't make them for them to breathe in poisonous gas all day long. He made them to be alive. He made them so that they too might know this newness of life that I'm saying that we can know. And Jesus is standing over the UK and he's calling us. Jesus is saying to us, He's saying to us, it's time to rise up. It's time to strap your oxygen tank on. Get plenty of gulpfuls of Jesus' fresh oxygen. Get it into your soul. Get it into your system. Die and start to breathe in the life of God that you've been called to purpose, that you've been called to a significant purpose. You know what we pray? We say to our Father, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever stopped to think how God is gonna answer that prayer? How is God going to bring his kingdom from heaven to the earth? He's going to bring his kingdom because we carry his kingdom. He's going to bring his kingdom through us. The answer to that prayer is our lives. It's us living for God. And so tonight is a night where I'm saying to you, do you know what? Jesus is in your face like he was in Peter's face. Jesus is saying, get behind me. You don't have in mind the things of God. You've got in mind the things of man and it's time to die. It's time to say, you know what? I'm giving it all in. I'm handing it all over. All my skills, all my abilities, all my motivations, everything I love, everything I'm good at. You know what? God has made you good at so many amazing things. Whether you're into creativity and the arts and music and dance and drama and writing and poetry, whether you're into sport, whether you're into politics, whether you're clever enough and intellectual enough to get into medicine or whether you're going to be in the caring profession or you're going to teach, or whether you're going to raise children at home, whether you're going to, whatever it is that God has given you for your life, he's saying to you, do it with an oxygen tank on you that you are offering to this world, that they too might discover that Jesus is pure life for them, that they might not be dead anymore, but they might be alive. He's calling us to an incredible life. That's why I called this message, die so you can live, because the lion's roaring. And you know what? It's really good to clap when you hear something you agree with. But you know what the Bible said, don't you? You're not blessed because you heard a really good sermon at New Day. You're blessed because you did it. I want to say to you tonight, and I don't clap, I want to say to you tonight, this is your opportunity to say to Jesus, I'm all in. I am all in. My life is about your mission. You're on a mission to bring your glory onto the earth, to redeem the earth, for for everyone to know that you're God. And that's what my life's about. It's not about anything else anymore. It's about Jesus and his mission. And if you know tonight, God has spoken that right into your spirit and you're feeling gripped, that I I need to deal with this with God, very quietly now, I want everyone to be quiet. I want you to stand up as a sign to Jesus that you're saying, I am all 
in. I'm going to die so I can live. This might be the first time you've ever really nailed it with Jesus, that your life is going to be about his agenda, not your agenda, not your parents' agenda, not the academic agenda, not trying to get stuff, not trying to acquire popularity and status. Just stay quiet. You're saying this to Jesus. I'm all in. Put your hands out. Put your hands out to Jesus. This is serious. This is Jesus saying to you, if you want to follow me, you've got to die. I want to raise you up tonight into newness of life, but you've got to die first. Don't stand up if you don't mean this. Only stand up if you mean it, that you're all in. Jesus doesn't want a bit of your life. He doesn't want you to be the kind of Christian that has moderated your faith. He wants the whole of your life. None of it is off limits to him. Your relationships, your family, your friends, your job, your money, your time, your heart, your passions, your loves, your desires, your opinions, they're not off limits now. If you're all in, he's having all of you. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you sent your son to die. I thank you, Jesus, that you were all in for us. You were all in for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. You held nothing back. You gave up your life. We want to give up our lives tonight, Lord, for your mission. We can hear you roaring in our ears, Jesus, the lion. We want to be near you, but we're scared as well. Thank you, Jesus, you're doing a great work in us. Now I pray, take our lives, take the lives of these young people and these adults in this tent tonight who are saying, I'm all in. Take them, Lord. Lay us down, God, in the dust of death. Let things die tonight. I pray, life patterns, habits, ways of speaking, values, goals, dreams, hopes, stuff that's outside of your kingdom purposes, let it die. And raise us up, God, to newness of life. Holy Spirit, come. This is a moment between you and God. I want you to say to God under your breath or quietly, I'm all yours. Do with me what you want. Do with my life what you want. Where you send me, I'll go. In the workplace, in the family, back home to my parents who don't know Jesus to my friends at school, to my college. I'll train for that job. I'll build that marriage. I'll raise those kids. I'll live in this nation. I'll live in the nations of the world. Where you send me, Jesus, I'll go. My life is yours. I believe that before we can really celebrate and and walk into the things that God is calling us to, and I do believe God is speaking destiny over people's lives tonight, but I believe before we do that, we, we need to surrender. And we need to let stuff, agendas that we've been living with fall away and the things of man and say, we're here for the things of God.